today on Real Radio. God, hallelujah, never stops in the midst of a project like I do and walks away from it and leaves it undone. God finishes what he starts and he will see to it that no matter how small the work began, no matter how small the little flame may be in your heart, he won't extinguish it. Welcome to Real Radio with Pastor Jack Hibbs. I'm David J. thanking you for joining us today as we listen, learn, and are challenged by God's Word, the Bible. On today's edition of Real Radio, Pastor Jack now continues his series called The First Epistle of Peter with a message called Anchored to the One True God, and this is part three. It's been said that a pat on the back really goes a long way. The Apostle Peter understood this, and his words of encouragement arrived just in time to bring comfort and inspiration, even though many Christ followers of Peter's day were suffering under the heavy hand of the Romans. Now, Peter reminds them that these trials and persecutions will not defeat them. The Bible also tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Only God's Word and His promises can bring us such comfort. Peter knew all too well how true that was. He lived in times of desperation and distress, but through God's infinite love, Peter rose above his circumstances. That's why his passion to bring light to those who are in the darkness and hope for the Christ followers who are enduring great suffering was his calling and one of his life's greatest ambitions. So today on day three of this message, Pastor Jack goes on to say that God always finishes what he starts. No matter how small the work or how little the flame, His peace and grace cannot be exhausted. God will see you all the way through to the end. And now in his message called Anchored to the One True God, Part 3, here's pastor and Bible teacher Jack Hibbs. Try all you want to to make yourself acceptable to God. It will never work. The Holy Spirit must be at work in you. And when he's at work within your life, Christian, you will be obedient to God. And then God turns and blesses obedience, so says the Bible. The greatest evidence of faith in God is obedience to God. I want to say that again. The greatest evidence of faith in God is obedience to God. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, the Bible tells us that Samuel replied and said, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices? That's church stuff. Samuel is rebuking Saul, and he's saying to Saul, you think God wants more of your money? Do you think God wants more of your animal sacrifices? Saul, do you think God wants more of your words? God doesn't want that stuff. God doesn't want one more promise from us because we have the motive to be better. No. God wants us to come before him broken and confessing, Lord, I can't do this, but by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Samuel goes on to say, he wants your sacrifice. He wants your obedience, I should say, to his voice. He says, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. God doesn't want you to go in and out of church and never change. God wants you to hear the gospel and be transformed. This is a remarkable truth. It's a power of God. The Bible also says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, that it's for the love of Christ which compels us. 
That's a tremendous word. The love of Christ compels. What does that mean? It's the love of Christ grips us. There is a, a, an obligation to God. Listen, church, there's an obligation to God that's, that comes out of us from love. I read a quote recently by uh, General Thomas Gage. If you know your American history at all at the Revolutionary Period, is the commander of the British forces over North America for England. But he said something that I think just ties really well into this. He was a general for crying out loud. He fought England's battles. He was decorated. And it says in his writings, and I quote, I have fought her battles, and so to my England I retire. If ever she may need me, if ever she call, I can do nothing else but to obey. I love that. What Thomas Gage is saying is I have fought the battles it's time for me to retire. I'm retiring to England, my home. But should my nation that I love dearly with all of my heart ever call upon me again to fight her battles, I must obey. Why would Gage say that? Because he loved England. And listen, that's the same is true about Jesus. When Jesus says, follow me, okay, I'll follow you. But that, okay, I will follow you, comes out of what Peter said. To whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. I love you, God. Do you love the Lord? Do you love him? Now, every time I say that, church, please listen. Every time I say that, I'm always disgusted as to how little I love Jesus. But I want to love him more. My love for Jesus is always deficient in my observation. And then he says, listen, to the obedience of the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. To the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're Jewish today, if you've read your Torah, those are Jewish words. The structure, the sentence, it's a Jewish statement. Yes, of course, Peter's a Jew. But Peter is lifting something out right out of the Old Testament. We've not only been chosen in Christ to be obedient, but the Bible tells us we've been chosen in Christ for the sprinkling. The sprinkling of the blood, referring to the ministry of the priesthood and the Old Testament. What that means behind these words is simply this, church. Without the sprinkling of blood in the Old Testament, there was no acceptance and there was no approaching God. And Peter draws from his Jewish heritage and he brings that in. And listen, you may want to write this down for previous, or I should say future study, but it's written in the Bible in Exodus chapter 29. The Bible tells us uh, regarding that, you can just write it down, Exodus 29. It says that on the day that Aaron and the priest were ordained into the ministry, they were sprinkled by Moses with blood. Isn't that interesting? God said, sprinkle the priest with blood. In Exodus 24, on the day that God made his covenant with the nation of Israel, the people were sprinkled with blood. Isn't that crazy, right? The blood of the sacrifice. The priest would sprinkle the people. Aaron's bloody. The priests are bloody. The people now are sprinkled with the blood. Leviticus 14 tells us that on the day that the leper is cleansed of his leprosy, he is to be sprinkled with blood. You say, what, what does this matter, pastor? It matters because, listen, there's three basic doctrines regarding the sprinkling of blood in the New Testament answering the old. In John chapter 19, on the day that Jesus Christ was crucified, the Bible says he purchased our salvation with his own 
blood. Jesus became, as it were, your priest on that day with his blood. Are you with me? Secondly, right here, 1 Peter chapter 1 mentions the, brink, the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. And then the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 2 that on the day that you and I put our trust in Jesus Christ, he cleanses you and I from all of our sins by his blood. Being cleansed of your sins is an answer to the Old Testament Leviticus. Remember, you're not, you're not healed of leprosy, are you? You have to be cleansed of leprosy. The Jews view leprosy as a display of sin. Jesus's blood doesn't heal you of sin. It what? Cleanses you of sin. And so this is a powerful statement. It immediately takes you and I to the remembrance of we've got a priesthood in heaven and Jesus is our great high priest. There can be no election. There can be no sanctification. There can be no obedience unless there's first the plan of redemption. And that's all in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19. Hebrews 9, verse 19. New Testament, but it's, being written, it's written to the Hebrew believers. Verse 19, chapter 9. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and of the goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop. Uh, that's kind of like lavender in our Southern California area. So imagine taking a, a lavender uh, switch because it's long with the blooms on the end. He dips it in the water and in the blood and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Verse 21, then likewise he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. What is this? That blood makes that thing dedicated to God. God looks. Remember what I said earlier. The believer's blood is, or the, I should say, the believer is plunged into the blood of Christ and brought up out of so that God only sees the blood. In the Old Testament, God saw the blood upon the people. He saw the blood of the sacrifice. He saw the blood on the priest. And all of it was acceptable to God. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, back up just a little bit in Hebrews 9, it says, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that's human hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of bulls and goats. Wow, that means something better has come, right? But with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled the unclean, sanctifies the things purified for the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who, listen, through the eternal spirit, offer himself without spot to God, did you get the Trinity there? Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is our salvation church. This is how saved you are. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again from the dead? Are you trusting him in that truth of him saving you? 
then by faith, you've received that message. And when you did, or if you are at this moment, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. He goes to work in your life to bring about God's eternal plan, which is from the beginning. He knew that you'd make that decision and that he has prepared you to hear his word today. And that is wonderful because God, hallelujah, never stops in the midst of a project like I do and walks away from it and leaves it undone. God finishes what he starts and he will see to it that no matter how small the work began, no matter how small the little flame may be in your heart, he won't extinguish it. He will see it all the way through to the end. It's the plan of God. I highly recommend, Christian, that you just surrender, yield yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's a lot easier to go with him than to resist him. And God will do a great work. I want to give you this quote by Eugene Boring. This is referring to the work of the Holy Spirit in the preaching activity by which the readers were converted. To declare that the readers are the elect is to mean, listen, that they belong to the holy people of God. That is, not that they are more pious or that they are morally superior to others, but that they have been called to form a distinctive community with a singular mission. To be called holy means that we, like Israel, have been set apart for a special purpose in God's saving plan. You can't get it more simple than that. And then listen, we end with this. Look at the latter end of verse two. It teaches us about an expanding love, a love that is expanding. Peter says, grace to you and peace be multiplied. This is the end of his salutation. Next week we start the book of Peter. <laughs> grace to you and peace be multiplied to you. Circle the word grace, circle the word peace, and circle the word, word multiplied. The word usage here is radically eye-opening. If you get a commentary of any value, they're going to spend pages and pages on just that final few words of verse two because it is so pregnant with deep theology and blessing. Before I talk about peace and grace, I want to look at the word multiplied. The Greek word plethoro, it's where we get the word plethora. It means this. It means to be increasing by many. It means ever increasing, watch, layer upon layer heaped upon one another to be of the fullest in measurements or measure. Increasing, multiplied, surely, abounding, we would say. You can't get, the word is huge, it's, it's technicolor. Listen, God the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. He can't lie, he can't exaggerate. Whatever he's telling you, it is multiplying every day, more and more, stacked upon another, this grace and this peace, you cannot exhaust. So what is it? What is its meaning? Number one, grace. <laughs> it's divine favor or divine kindness. It's divine gifting. It's like this. Okay, it's, it's as though God, out of the crowd, picks you, he grabs you, and he, he takes you out over to the side, and he begins to 
for one thing, communicate to you everything your soul needs to hear for your comfort. So hypothetically, as I make this up, I would think that he would say, remember those times when you thought nobody loved you? Well, I loved you, and I love you now. And I will always love you. When he says it, though, it's different than a human saying it to you. When he says it, you understand in that instant it's absolute, tangible truth. You're fully convinced. Then he walks you a few steps over and he says, see this, see this outfit, as it were? See this outfit of righteousness? I'm the only one qualified to wear this outfit. I'm Jesus. I'm the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I had one made for you here. And he puts it on you. You can't even raise your hands to put it on. He puts it on you. And then he says, you see these sandals? And he stoops down and he puts them on you and he ties them on your feet. He does all these things for you. And not only that, but he walks you a few steps over and let's, we're making this up as we go along. And he walks you into um, an office as it were, a legal, it's certainly a legal place. And he says, now all that is mine, all that I have over my command, which is all time and eternity, all that is mine, I bestow upon you. And you are just as much mine now as my father has always seen you in life and in eternity. And you've come home. And this is what has been waiting you, awaiting you. Didn't Jesus say, let not your heart be troubled? You believe in God, believe also in me, for in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, but I go now to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. All that the Son has, the Bible says he will give to you. And that is grace, ever abounding grace. Unearnable, unmerited favor, gifting by God himself. No human can do this. And then it's the word peace. The word peace means to place comfort in you or upon you. It means a peace that exists, but it's given. It means to possess a peace on the inside of who you are. It's a peace that comforts your heart and your mind. This is the peace, church, and we end with this. This is the peace of God. When Paul, or excuse me, when Peter wrote to believers, he wasn't talking about peace with God. You may be here today and you're not a Christian. You do not have peace with God. You're, you're fighting God. You don't like God. You hate God. You, you use his name in vain. You use the, the name Jesus Christ all the time, but, but not in a good... Uh, you, in a good context, you're, you're, you, you are whatever and your life is without God. The Bible says you have no peace with God. The Bible says you're, at, you're an enemy of God. So you have no peace. 
because there's no peace with God. The Christian now surrenders in that moment of salvation and now has peace with God because of the cross. And the moment we come to Christ, we go from having peace with God and we make our next step. Listen, Jesus walks us over and says, awesome, here, I'm gonna put now my peace in you. And the peace of God is what gets you and I through every day of our Christian life. By his grace and by his peace that is constantly multiplying. Do you need, listen, do you have problems? Do you have problems in your life? Do you have issues? Do you have things happening? God's word says, and this is where you need to grab it. You need to grab onto it. You need to say, Lord, You would say as a believer in your life's situation, God, I am taking your grace that is promised to me based upon your word, and I, God, am laying hold of your grace. Your abounding favor in the midst of this disaster that's going on in my life. Secondly, Lord, I am going to hang on to, I am going to appropriate your peace. You said in your Bible that the peace that you give passes all human understanding. Church family, there's nothing like having the peace of God in the midst of an event. It's there for you. Ask him. Ask him. It's there. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth and its power to convert the soul and not only convert the soul, but to bring us who know you now, God, into an ever-increasing relationship with you that is all-powerful, that is all-practical. And God, I pray right now for those, and I understand, we all understand, there was a day when we would seek after peace through drugs or drink or through relationship, and we were only left the worst for it. But then your word comes along and announces to us the answer. It's Jesus. We thank you, Father God, for Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord God, for these deep and strong truths. And as we embark further now into the epistle of Peter, we pray that we would be so transformed, Jesus, as a people of God. Lord, we love you and we thank you for putting that work in our hearts. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Pastor and Bible teacher, Jack Hibbs, here on Real Radio, in his message called Anchored to the One True God, Part 3. Thanks for joining us today, and our hope is that you stir up the flame that is within you, knowing that as you move forward in His will, He's always going to have your back. Anchored to the One True God, Part 3, is part of Pastor Jack's series called the first epistle of Peter. It's a series that takes us through the life and times of the Apostle Peter, whose love for Jesus Christ carried him through great persecution and whose compassion for others still inspires us today. And we'll continue on the next edition of Real Radio. You know, the Apostle Peter reminds us that it's the Lord who gives us strength. But you know, we all know that there's strength in numbers. So why don't you join the thousands who are following Pastor Jack on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram? Become a part of what's happening with continuing updates, posts, messages, Bible studies, and so much more. Also, be sure to comment, hit the like button, as we've made that very easy for you. 
Simply go to our website, reallifewithjackhibbs.org, to access Pastor Jack on social media. That's reallifewithjackhibbs.org. Or you can find it on the Real Life mobile app for your smartphone or tablet. Hey, we've got a special offer for you. The Life and Bible series is now available on an MP3 CD. And for a gift of any amount, you'll get 17 complete audio messages along with Pastor Jack's sermon notes all on one disc. Yeah, you'll get the notes too. Just go to our website, reallifewithjackhibbs.org, and take advantage of this great offer on the Life and Bible series. And remember, it's yours for a gift of any amount at reallifewithjackhibbs.org. That's reallifewithjackhibbs.org. This program is made possible by the generous contributions of you, our listeners. Visit us at reallifewithjackhibbs.org. That's reallifewithjackhibbs.org. I'm David J. Until next time, Pastor Jack Hibbs and all of us here at Real Radio wish for you solid and steady growth in Christ and in His Word. We'll see you next time here on Real Radio.